Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Which one is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. It is not war and death and famine, it's not that at all. It's the opposite of that, it's to persuade us of the world outside of that. That's why sport's important. It's been a tumultuous week in the Irish team's preparation for the World Cup this month. After the Jersey presentation and media day last Thursday, the focus looks set to be purely on the football. But an article in The Athletic, released on Monday morning, resurrected many of the initial claims of mistreatment of players related to Vera Pau from her time in charge of the Houston Dash. And at a press conference yesterday, Vera and team captain Katie McCabe were asked a barrage of questions about the new allegations. You're listening to a snifter from this week's second captain's audio cask. And I'm here to tell you that the day before, on Tuesday, Katie and Ken Early had sat down for a chat in a rather more relaxed setting, with Katie revealing a lot about what made her find and maintain her interest uh, in football and what she sees uh, has driven the explosion of interest that she's seen at both club and international level in the last two years. If we could just talk then about what's... I mean, this, this World Cup is going to be huge. The last couple of Women's World Cups are going to be huge. But, but what's happened at Arsenal this season is kind of... Well, maybe since the Euros last summer, what's happened at Arsenal this season has been phenomenal. Like, Arsenal have a higher average attendance than, than Bournemouth in the Premier League. Um, That's a good start. Because of all the games. <laughs> We've been playing games uh, uh, at the Emirates uh, with sellout crowds, like huge, huge games. I mean, it feels as though this is really, that we're kind of almost past the tipping point here. Uh, in terms of women's football, I mean, what what what's it felt like from being on the inside of that? Um, it's yeah, it's quite exciting, really. Um, I think the England women's team doing so well and winning the Euros um, kind of sparked that um, that in, internal kind of growth within the league um, and what they've done for for women's football in the UK is absolutely massive. Um, but I think internally within the club structure, the club have really taken responsibility and a real understanding of, of what they want to do and what they want to try to achieve. Um, for me, Arsenal has always been at the forefront for women's football mm. um, in England for as many years as I can remember. Um, they've yeah they've literally won it all um and i think the proactiveness they've shown in terms of wanting us to play at the emirates wanting us to play all our champions league games at the emirates not just wsl games um and from the point i think our first game at the emirates was spurs um at home i think it was only maybe 30 40,000 i say only 30 40,000 um, and they've worked really, really hard in terms of ticket sales, marketing, commercial, making sure we're visible around tubes um, to promote the Women's Champions League games. Um, 
yeah, it's been it's been fantastic, and they've really really um, done well with it because ultimately, Champions League semi or semi final, and then the sixty thousand uh, fans they coming to watch us, and they really want to continue to do that, and um, they've. Yeah, they've put so much work and, and effort into it, and I think it's only going to keep going one way. Well, what's the makeup of the crowd like at those games? Lots of. I think there's actually been a lot more, say, men's season ticket holders coming towards the end of the season. Um, so the Bayern game and the Wolfsburg game. Um, um, but, you get to watch Arsenal beating Bayern. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then, um, like, women, children, families. The women's game is a different sort of atmosphere. Um, I think some men's games can be quite hostile and not the most friendly environments, whereas women's games, everyone, it's its like anyone can come. don't get hostility? Not as much. To be fair, we did a little bit in, um, where were we playing? I think it was maybe Bayern. Their fans were pretty really? pretty heavy, yeah. I haven't played PSG, but I know PSG's fans, the ultras are, are pretty uh crazy as well um haven't seen some footage of psg and, and chelsea playing against each other and um, they bring the ultras over but um yeah now our, our fans aren't aren't uh yeah too crazy um do you i mean it's it's kind of corny in a way but it is real like you know the the, the effect that this can have um on kids watching you know in terms of uh getting girls to play football and so on and so forth now just when when you were playing football i mean how, i know that you you're like two of your siblings are footballers and obviously your family was into it i mean is that's basically how how you got into it do you think it would have made a big difference to you maybe, maybe not to you because you're you did it anyway but how do you think it would have impacted you if you had seen at that age people like you are now I think it would have given you not that I didn't have belief. I always dreamt of being a footballer. I admired Damien Duff a lot. Left foot, left wing. I always wanted to be number eleven and have that Ireland jersey. If it wasn't for having a role model like Damien Duff, I wouldn't have kind of wanted to maybe be a footballer. I probably just would have played it, but I think it is important for, for young girls and young boys to kind of have that person they look up to. Um and for us now in the women's game um, and how it's grown, for us now to be the role models um, for young girls growing up, we see like thousands of kids coming to see us at Tallis Stadium, yeah. screaming our names, wanting their signatures, jersey signs and everything like that. And we never want to lose that bond we have with our fans and that connection. I've told the story of when I was younger down in Inchicore, we were given free tickets to go watch the women's team play um, when they used to play at Inchicore and um, Emma Byrne signed my ticket and I just remember being like oh my god Emma Byrne signed my ticket like that moment for me was like so special um, and I held on to it I held on to it I then was like okay Emma Byrne who does she play for she plays for Arsenal dad puts on Arsenal Everton FA Cup game the one game women's game on a year um, which was an FA Cup final yeah. Um I see Emma Byrne picking up an FA Cup. Like those small things, they matter. Um, and I think for us as a team, we pride ourselves on giving back to the fans um, and making sure we we give them our time. Um, because I do think it'll get to a point one day where it might be like the men, and they, you can't really do it anymore. So I think it's important for us to maintain that while we still can. Yeah, I mean, how, how do you think? Uh is it a question of, of, of the example of, of a team like yours um, 
that would get like girls into the game more now apart from like the discovery of like football is actually just a fun thing to do like you know if you do it how how, how can it be changed like for me it was my parents putting it on in front of me you know what i mean i i obviously had siblings um my older brother I, I played football with him i seen him playing football in the garden i thought oh, i'll give that a try yeah. um again i was really close to my younger brother as well i i'd only ever play with the boys um didn't have much girl mates growing up um and i'd i'd stay out playing till till all hours um kicking <laughs> kicking around kicking the ball around with the lads um yeah i guess it's the environment you're in um as well but it is it's maybe it's sticking on the, the TV sticking on RTE um, and, and putting the women's team on um, in a friendly game and um, I don't know bringing them around to the local local team um, I know the level of participation in grassroots football and girls is, is like shot through the roof in the last few years um, which is fantastic but we, are, we we need to keep going with it it's not like oh we need to stand still now and um yeah be happy there's more girls playing like we need to keep pushing and we need to get more girls involved in sport because um if given the the right platform to do it i think we can achieve like really amazing things our crack ga punditry team of paul flynn and michael murphy talked to us on tuesday morning about the four all-ireland quarterfinals last weekend paul seemed unusually chipper while discussing the saturday games for reasons which became clear once we moved on to talking about dublin's convincing win over mayo in sunday's doubleheader there was a buzz around the capital, like all coming up to the game, you know, as there is every time you're playing against Mayo. There's that anticipation, there's that fear, there's that excitement. And part of the excitement was that we wanted to see where Dublin were at, you know. And I think we mentioned this term before, there's an uncertainty of outcome. When you feel like you're going to, you could lose, you have the bit of the jitters. And then the first half was probably what we expected it was going to be, you know, um, tight, every sideline that was contested, you, you could see players putting their hand up trying to claim it was theirs and like even on the stand you wanted to win them. Um, Mayo were good in the first half, they were creating space in the full back line and creating the one-on-ones and then and going at their men and Ronald Dunahoo had a great first half, Conroy got on ball, um, O'Shea was having an impact and it just felt that, like, um, as the game started to develop into the into into this into the first half, that Dublin were starting to come into, it. and even when they weren't executing their shots, they were they were playing okay, you know. Um, but like, I guess for me as a fan now, um, you're asking yourself the question of what's their why. Right, what was it that's motivating this group, right? Because the what is what you'll see in the games and how they act. But what's what's the motivating factor? And you could just see now that they've whatever it is, we always had a why about, you know, being the greatest performing team and that kind of was our hook and we everything else fell off that. They've seemed to find a new why this group and they're 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 now on it. And the what then came out in relation to how they went after the kickouts and how they went after the turnovers. They're the two points of this game that for me were telling. They didn't win a whole pile of kickouts of care of of reap. They only won four kickouts, which is low. But they punished. They got one two off the kickout of the four kickouts. But the press is actually scary. Like the way they go four full in the full forward line three and four. It's a typical enough zonal press. But it's their body language. It's their 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 gesturing, their movement that actually just shuts out space. And there were a couple of kickouts in the first half that Reap kicked out, and they were he was blessed to win them. There were bad kicks, or they just went to the wrong place. But yet Mayo still won them. 
Um, but, but it was just that, 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 that fed up. A bit like what I said about Armand, that fed into the energy of Dublin then because after that then they, they zoned in. Um, key players stepping up. Yeah, the why Go is on. interesting to me because I'm looking at James McCarthy and Stephen Cluxton um, and it was said to me actually over the weekend that they want nine All-Ireland medals. They want to beat the Kerry record of eight that that uh, number that there's I think there's five Kerry players are on eight All Ireland medals. Cluxton and McCarthy will win their ninth if and it could be against Kerry. And in ways, is that the why? You know, you look at how good McCarthy was. I mean, I couldn't get over how good he was and how fit he looks, how athletic he looks. It was just it was an extraordinary performance by as you're I think you were about to say one of the big leaders on this team, like the leader in a lot of ways, the outfield leader. Yeah, and if that is the why, I think like it, it, it's either the I don't get too much into this, but the why should be kind of iterative, and it should be able to. It shouldn't. You shouldn't actually be able to reach it. Essentially, right? It should be just able to reach. But there is a sense with this team that their why could be something that is is reachable because there it is a finite time. They haven't got like ten more years. This group and a lot of these players, so it feels like it is one last push. And if McCarthy and if Cluxton were to get to nine, I think anybody who played on even one of them All Ireland teams would feel a part of that. That like we were a part of helping them on the journey and the collective on that journey. Um. So yeah. So maybe that is that overall uh, kind of goal of theirs that kind of feels. But like I watched the 2013 final during the week because it's one of my games. I was writing about it and calling on it, but it was one of the games I always loved to watch traditional affair but Macker was making those runs through the middle and I when I it was a weird when it happened in the game and I was watching in the stadium I was like it was like the exact same run I felt like I was watching the 13 final on the TV and he just bounds through the middle no one can catch him his teammates can't keep up with him the opposition don't even try and you're just saying to yourself how the hell is this guy doing this you know and till the end you know, like, it didn't die off, it was sustained, it was just, and that is leadership in action right there. That is somebody saying, we are going for this, and everyone else fed off it, because they all played to the 70th minutes. And if they can keep that going and training, that standards, they'll get some buzz off this, you know, like, they haven't had this buzz in a while, and they've felt this before, and they will get some buzz off this that will lead into training this week, and they'll want to keep that buzz, that sensation, because... It's that's what that's what they know. They've played at this level for so long, and they haven't been back up there. Now they're back up there. They won't want to be dipping back down. Uh, is, is it as simple as one of the way? And just a, a quick one, and you probably don't know the answer, but maybe from from other teams you do. Like I'm not going to put you in the spot, but well, I will anyway. The is it as simple as saying is there a hatred of Mayo? And realistically, you know, not in any way dismissing Monaghan, but I mean, two of the biggest games that they're going to be playing in the next four weeks has been against Mayo who they got beat against in the last number of years and who when they wanted to put a wrong right, those big key senior players, and they'll be playing against Kerry, who they came up against short against last year. Like who you expect, sorry, to play against Kerry. And again, not dismiss them on them, but you know what I mean in terms of do they is there a hatred there's respect, but is, is there a hatred of them teams, you know? The why is never about one game. Well, it wasn't. So I don't know what way this team approaching it, but it's all it's much more of a higher purpose thing. That's the glue that knits them all together. But definitely with Mayo, there is that, like, there's a respect morph, right? So they weren't going to go into that game undercooked. They knew every, the week of it that they needed to be on their A game. They knew they had to outrun them. They knew they had to tag the runners from deep. 
you know, they knew that they had to be on it or else they'd get punished. So that's probably more of why you got that response against Mayo. Is there a risk that they dip the standards against Monaghan? I don't think so, because if you're, if you do even go down that rabbit hole of like, okay, it's Monaghan, Monaghan relegated them. So that you can find something about any team that can kind of spark something, you know? So, um, but I don't think they'll be thinking that way. I think they'll be focusing on their standards a lot now over the next while because they'll see that when they focus on themselves, if they can get to that level of performance that they can, they can, live with anybody or they can beat anybody and um you know the one question would be about Kerry if both teams play like they played this weekend we'd be just be we we would just be lucky to witness it and what whatever happened would happen probably be 119 118 to one team or the other that's the type of that's how close these two teams are um and like going back and I don't want to you can talk about the tactics all you want in this right but this is about attitude and the attitude for me was epitomized by Kieran Kilkenny because he was dropped and that's not an easy place to be right when you're such a franchise player like he is and they missed him in the first half I'm not going to lie they missed him as a link player in the first half um, but the way he came on the attitude to win some of those dirty balls which is not something you always see Kieran doing it was just an intent and that says to me that these guys are all in this going for the one direction and they realise that this is about the collective and not about any one individual. And when you get to that point with a group like this, you've, you've, you've caught on to something um, and it's going to be hard to stop. So look, I'm definitely overexcited about it, <clears throat> but it was great. Even like I was just like, my dad came into the game with me. I brought him home. We rang our brother on the way home. And just to get that buzz back was just, that has been missing for a lot of dumb people. I'm not saying, I'd say there's very little sympathy for us because of the fact that we've been so lucky Z- over zero, the last number of years. Zero, <laughs> but, <laughs> We can't confirm. <laughs> but I'm just, the only reason I'm saying is because I, I, get, I get a sense that, that that feeling was extended ac- across the panel too. You know, that the players felt that as well. And uh, that's a healthy dressing room when you can get that. Yeah, Michael, there's, I think there has been maybe, you know, d- the memory of the Dublin team of Paul's era of the last decade, it, it's it, those memories are still very intense for a lot of people. So I think when you look at, say, Colin Baskell, who's whatever he is, 27, I think, um, there is still that, and even Cormac Costello, I think there is still this uh, temptation to say, well, listen, four or five years ago, these guys were, were 22, 23, 24. They couldn't make the Dublin team. So therefore, when we see them now... That it's 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 a sign that the standards have dropped or whatever, or that this Dublin team isn't quite where it was. I mean, that can actually be true, but that's that shouldn't mean that you kind of demean how good Kali Baskell has actually been the last couple of weeks. Because I have, I have to say, when I saw him making the Dublin team over the last couple of months, I I have, I've been inclined to fall into that trap. You know that okay, well. You know how good they, could they be if this guy who couldn't make it three or four years ago is now making it twenty, uh, making it at twenty seven. Uh, but you have to hold your hands up. The guy was just really, really good. Like that's his best performance for Dublin by you know a mile uh, yeah. on Sunday. And I've seen him a couple of times this year uh, kick five points down in, in Nolan Park from flames are really, really handful and dangerous. And, and listen, I, I was one of those personnel that say that these player, these kind of players, I said about Collie Basquiel, because Coslo that. Are they going to grab the jersey and take a hold of it, not give it back? And Bugler, in fairness, has has done it. Maybe quiet again the last day, but 
I just felt that they were always Dublin were always just going to go back to the serial winners of McCarthy, McCaffrey, you know, Kilkenny, and rightly so. Listen, they're they're unbelievable players, but listen to not taking anything away from Pascal and probably do you know what? For him to come through what it maybe has come through is twenty seven years of age, in and out of the panel for the last number of years, the doubts that we've all kinda expressed maybe around the likes of him probably makes him a little bit tougher. It probably makes it a little bit more worth it for him. It probably adds an extra motivation if you put yourself in his shoes. And listen, that motivation, everything was there, but just the class of his goals was 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 extremely good to get in there, um, to catch that bomb. You know, to kick two two um, is, is 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 big scoring on it. So yeah, credit to credit to him on it. You know, not to move away from it too quickly, but onto the Mayo one the. There's two massive chances, like, you know, the Jordan Flynn one, was it, was it not? Was it a penalty? Was it a pick off the ground? Whatever we want to argue, it was still a goal chance, yeah. And, you know, Dublin took those goal chances. The Owen McLaughlin one, it's a massive goal chance, you know, at a time where they just were needing it, you know. Um, and there's two goal chances there for them that, and basically come away with nothing there in that one. And, and that's... After that, it you know it just feels like the they're thinking about throughout three weeks in a row, and you know Dublin just absolutely hit up the steamroll. Kilkenny, Paul was right when he came on. I thought he was absolutely phenomenal, uh, and everything turned the ball over in the middle of the field. Uh, that was no right to be to be turned over. Something you don't associate it with him on him, but he just adds it an extra. And that'll be an interesting one over the next number of weeks, and then the lead into that morning and all there and the All Ireland if they are to get there around team selection and, and who comes in and who doesn't because you know Desi Farrell is whatever we want to say about the the, the tenure and whatnot he has shown uh, maybe by by need more so than maybe the ruthlessness but he has shown a, a you know that he will change his players he will change them from game to game and week to week We had Mark Jones Associate Professor of History at UCD in the studio today as well talking to Ken about his new book 1923 which is about a tumultuous year in German and European history Mark's been on the show a couple of times before he's just an exceptional historian and communicator and the show today starts off in 1923 but very quickly ends up in 2023 and what the history of communication and mass media has to tell us about today's world. If you want to hear the whole thing, then why don't you go to secondcaptains.com forward slash join and for just five euro a month plus VAT, depending on where in the world you are, you'll get six shows a week, a show every weekday, as well as the love and respect of your peers. We also think you'd love it, but hey, that's just us. Anyway, here is Mark Jones, who finds his entire reason for being called into question a little way into this clip. Political communication now happens through things like Twitter, the internet, you know, and the sense of acceleration of news means that the newspaper that's printed in the morning is no longer up to date by midday. Yeah. So you go online to get your next story. You get the story. The stories update themselves live in front of our eyes. Yeah, it's always the same story, though. It's always like trans, something, WF, this, the clot shot, plot against the people, you know. But the, the story's updating live in real time. In Weimar, Germany, people did not have phones, obviously. Yeah. But they had newspapers that came out in four or five editions a day. So you bought the, you got the edition in the morning, midday, mid-afternoon, early evening, late evening. And so the stories are happening, the acceleration of time, the idea that the world's moving too fast. It's a, is a thing. Is, is a, a thing, because that's com- modernity. A feature the, of, these, of these times. Time feels like it's accelerating away. And that is also part of the upturning of the world that's happening, that people feel are happening. And that's part of that sense of modernity and crisis, which is both present now and was present and really started then yeah and that's one of the reasons why it's it's it can be quite frightening to look back at those at those um 
newspapers and languages of that time and see how that extremist language appealed then and it appeals now. First of all, I mean, if if we try and think of well, what 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 can what use is it to know this? You know, I mean, I'm I'm I must say I'm, I've become increasingly agnostic as to whether it's any use to know anything about history. <laughs> I know that you're a professional historian, but I'm kind of thinking, well, bring that out. Does it, it does it does it really? I mean, I'm sitting just, in the studio with no air. Does anyone, <laughs> and I suddenly get told an hour and a half in? Does anyone defend your existence? Right? Yeah. <laughs> is, you know, is it important? I mean, nobody does. Does does anyone know anything about this? Like, just when I look at just the torrent of like the ever uh, exponential increasing torrents of information which are just blasted at people from every source now, including about history. Say for I don't know if you if you spend much time on Twitter these days. There's loads of history accounts now doing like long threads uh, with like they'll start off with a picture of well, just one the other I saw the other day Francisco Pizarro. It's time to give this guy the credit he deserves. Yeah. And and it's and it's so this whole. Uh, thread about what a hero Francisco Pizarro the, who conquered the Inca Empire was and how people need to respect the conquistadors because you know there's been an effort to drag these men through the mud they were heroes that's, right that's, this is this is fascism right his, history's part of the culture wars yeah yeah but it's but it's it's uh, history just now to me just seems to be like a store of weapons the people will will just rummage through and find something and go. This is this will be my weapon for the day. You know what I mean? As, exactly. As opposed to, but there's, there's no there's no way of of kind of. But there's too much of it to understand. There's more of it being added you, every you've, day. You've answered your own point right there. Right. You know this is fascism because you've studied history. You've just identified this is a problem. This historical knowledge, this manipulation of history, but is it's a problem. So, it's and quite, you it's can identify that done. because you have historical knowledge because you've read the books. Okay. Right. Because you've have the historical training you can spot how this language and history has been weaponized in contemporary political debates and that's why when you come back to the original point is that's why we need historical knowledge right if you come back to the idea of what's happening in in the internet right now is it's being used to manipulate people you know manipulation through political messaging is not a new thing but the internet makes it so much uh, more powerful because you can indiv- individualize it because you've got the algorithm you've got the details of what somebody's looking at on the internet you can personally you can create a personal propaganda message for every single phone user every single Twitter user yeah. right and so how do you train people's minds to not be manipulable you can't well, you do can't. that you can't if you don't everybody edge, is manipulable you, but you can't you, you've no chance whatsoever if you don't give them a historical uh, education in the manipulation of political minds in the 20th century. Now, you might say, well, read George Orwell rather than read a history book. And I wouldn't necessarily disagree agree with that, but I would think that to understand these processes, you have to have historical knowledge. The other thing I would think about is, you know, Tim Schneider makes this point, and I'm going to echo it, you know, here, is that, like, as we try and debate what's happening in the world around us, it makes a lot of sense to think historically. It makes a lot of sense to ask ourselves, what are the historical points in time in our lives that were the big changing points what are the ones that we noticed when they happened and we said that's a big change like september 11 2001 clearly we knew there's a before and after that's changed the world we knew that as it happened what about the other ones where we didn't really see them at the time as they happened but in hindsight we can see now that they were major stepping points on the road to a new historical era so the 2014 invasion of the crimea one of the things i uh, uh, you know july 2014 you know what war crime happens in July 2014? The, the, the shooting down of the plane, is that August? Or That's that July. So yeah. a plane that takes off in a European capital is shot down over the Ukraine. You know, 
Today, you can look back at that immediately and say, that's a historical turning point. It's really obvious. At the time, not enough people were thinking historically about that. So they simply stood back from it yeah. and said, that was an accident. You know, yeah. it was terrible. You know, I'd love to hear the record of the phone call between Obama and Putin that happened after that. But clearly, people across Western Europe were not baying for blood and not saying, you know, we can't let this happen. Wasn't it a kind we, of an accident? I mean, do, do you think they meant to, to shoot down a, a passenger plane with, it, with it, 300 you know, it, people. It, well, what I'm saying, it's the kind of accident that happens when people are, are running around uh, a country that they've invaded with, with air, air defense uh, systems and, and see something on the radar. It, but, 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 but do you, if you think they did it deliberately, what would it have been? It's the norm that was breached because there was no punishment for the breach in norm. So the norm is that you, that, you know, there's a norm in international relations. There's a norm, we have to have some kind of norms about what kind of violence is permissible, what kind of violence is not permissible. And that happened, and it was as if no norm had been breached. And in hindsight now, we can say, almost a decade later, we let that norm be breached. And that put, you know, that was a green light to say, we're not going to stand up. We, Western Europe, NATO, are not going to stand up to future breaches of norms. So thinking historically, we can see now how that is a, a changing point that at the time we knew it was significant because we knew it was a big thing at the time, but we didn't possibly think strategically what's happening next if because of this moment in time. Mm. Which brings me back to my point is that, you know, if you want to analyse where the war in the Ukraine comes from, you can't do it without thinking historically and thinking like a historian. You just can't do it. And so when you come back to this point and say, you know, but, yeah. there's too many dad history books well, and there's well, too for, many well, podcasts for, for and there's, example, too many, there's too much rubbish history out there, right? You, you know, I can agree with a lot of that, but actually I can just say, well, historians bring a perspective on an al- analyzing problems, which is vital for getting, you know, the best solution to whatever particular problem you have. But, but, but uh, you know, the Russian president has his own history. I mean, he's written these long essays about, well, look, actually, this is what happened. And, you know, it goes back to the 8th century or whatever. And then Lenin made a mistake and Khrushchev made a mistake. And now we've got, you know, they're trying to buy up all our land. And, you know what I mean? So, so it's, a, yeah, it's, it's, it's another version it's another version of history, which he's kind of advancing. It's not as though anyone's going to really delve into it. It just becomes a question of, all right, I suppose we'll go along with that. Well, how can we deconstruct his version of history if we don't have historical knowledge But ourselves? why does it matter if you do? Because it allows us to know how to analyze what he's doing and allows us to understand whether our response is right or wrong. I mean, come back to Obama just a few weeks ago. Didn't Obama say Ukraine's not a country? You know, we need historical knowledge to say, what on earth are you talking about? Yeah. You know, you know, uh, you know, w- w- and, and what, how do we get to a situation where a former president of the United States, around about a year into the biggest war in Europe since 1945, yeah. doesn't have a basic knowledge of history? I'm you're not, you're I'm telling not, me we've too much history? But, but, we but don't I'm, have enough, Ken. Yeah, I'm, no, I'm, I'm telling not, you, no, we I'm don't have surprised. enough. I'm not surprised. We don't have that. enough, you know, and like, I mean... Let's let's be honest. Like, I mean, turn off the Premier League, guys. Man City are going to oh. win. It's going to be boring. <laughs> You're going to be bored. Read a history book. It you is. Know, it you, is becoming, you, like, it's wh- becoming a problem. Wh- wh- why waste your your Tuesday nights watching matches where you know the the results going to be what the results going to be already? Yeah. You know, don't yeah. don't 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 waste your time. Get entertained through history, which will, if it's written well, will entertain you, but also will inform you, and make you a better, smarter person, and allow you to also historicize. Uh, contemporary problems in the contemporary world also c- 
problems problems of contemporary identity, you know, who we are, where we've come from. You can't answer any of those questions without history. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Very pleased to say we can speak to the Liverpool manager, Jurgen Klopp, now joining us. What did you like about your team's performance tonight? Everything. Did I, did I hear it right there, Mr. Keane said um, we had a sloppy performance tonight? No, because I could hear you already. Did he say that? Cannot be this game. Sorry. Jürgen Klopp said the other day, but Man City had a break because of the virus when their game was called off against Man City. I think they missed two days training. They are making a lot of excuses to meet up in bad champions. This was a sloppy performance tonight. I just want to not only hear it, because I'm not sure if I heard it right. Maybe he spoke about another game. But about this game tonight, there's nothing bad to say. Jorgen Klopp said, yeah, maybe the goalkeeper's feet was cold. It's excuses after excuses. Talking about Liverpool, there are people keep telling me Liverpool's a great club and a huge club. Well, keep performing like that, it'll be another 30 years before you win the league title. No, can you hear me? Sloppy. Yes, I don't know. Yeah, look at the speaker and only heard the word sloppy. If that's in that game tonight, then, then it was the wrong you need, one. But you need to hear the rest of it. Okay, thanks so for listening. We'll be back tomorrow with Ken's thoughts on Ireland-France from the Tala Stadium. Next week, we'll be all over Ireland's departure for Australia, where Ken will be reporting for us from, as well as the All-Ireland Hurling semi-finals. In the meantime, remember, the second captain's is part of the Acast Creator Network. Sloan, August Bannacht. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. It is not war and death and famine, it's not that at all. It's the opposite of that, it's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sport's important. <laughs>